Today in the Attorney Career Advice Podcast with Harrison Barnes. Each type of work environment does have unique advantages and disadvantages. Uh, my opinion about it that I do think uh, working in the office is often a lot smarter. But the reason that it's so competitive to get into these schools is because of the people you're around. I remember my first job after law school was with a judge. And, uh, and sometimes you would need to leave at like noon or one. But, and I typically wouldn't talk to him really every day. I'd have lunch with him or the other clerk, but might meet with him formally once a week of that. And, and then sometimes when he would leave the office early, he would always call like at two or three or five, you never knew, and just say, hey, what's going on? And, and I'd be like, nothing, I'm just working. And, but he would do that because he would be worried that people would leave. And so employers have that kind of paranoia as well. And if they believe you're not there and not working, they'll often discount. And even if you just got up to get the mail or something, they, this is a lot of times how they think. And that can impact how the law firm views you and create problems. And then I talked about confidentiality a little bit earlier. I don't think that we need to talk about that matter, the IT. And then the final one is hybrid remote. And then that is obviously really something that's been happening. Job seekers like that. And, and, but it's also, it can be a negative. Is what, and here's some of the advantages, I guess, from, your, from the standpoint of a job seeker. It can really provide a pretty good balance. And legal employers are also allowed to, employees are allowed to work from home part of the time and on certain days within a traditional office environment. And if you are in a hybrid work arrangement, I think it's something that you should take very seriously. And because I think that I've actually seen people where remote work is optional. And I was talking not too long ago. It was very funny. I was talking to a partner. She was in you know, somewhere in South Florida and, uh, and she had a good book of business and, and she liked to go in the office. So she really looked forward to going to the office on days where it was, where it was hybrid. And I guess it wasn't mandatory hybrid, but she would go in and she'd be in this huge office and there'd only be a couple of attorneys there. And she said, this is just making it way too difficult for me to get work done. I need being around other people. And this was one of the reasons she was looking for a job. And so th these in-office days are very important. Same for networking. I'm not going to go through all this again because I don't think there's... I think everything that I've said so far has pretty much covered this. And the cons are really the same as we talked about earlier. So let's go here and move to that. And, and then let's see, logistical challenges. Okay. So I'm going to move through hybrid because I think many of the same points are covered. And then, yeah, well, I think we'll cover most of this. Retention, collaboration, operational cost. Let's see. I just I don't want to spend too much time on the stuff that we already covered. It's definitely interesting, but covered a lot of it. Logistical, and this is really based on a very long article for law firms too, the with their studying this problem. Okay, let's see, partial overhead cost. You know that. Okay, and then full time. These are covered. That uh, the, um, the ability, middle advantages. Clear career progression. I talked about that earlier, but I just want you to understand that it's much easier, in my opinion, to advance when you're under a, a full-time office environment. It's, there's just a lot of clear pathways. You are able to play the political side of the coin as well as the, the work. And then you can really watch how senior people are handling things. You can watch their, how they work, just get a sense of how things work better in person. And then the networking is incredibly important. We talked about that. And then the immediate feedback from work, 
uh, not having to wait a week or something to get feedback. You'll often be able to get it very quickly and then become a better attorney. And, uh, and then all this feedback, I think, is extremely important and uh, as is criticism. And that can help you as well. And then the separation, I talked about that earlier. And then, of course, the cons, I think we've covered uh, most of those already. So I'm going to move through these, cost you more. And then you have fewer job opportunities if you're just looking for a position in one market. Let's see here in law firm's perspective, same thing. We've covered all that. Let's see here, oversight, savings. This is a very long PowerPoint. I don't want to get too far into this. Uh, right here, higher overhead costs. Wow, look at all this. Increased flexibility. Okay, so conclusions. Again, I don't want to re-talk too much about the same stuff, but each type of work environment does have unique advantages and disadvantages. And the best choice depends on analyzing all this. You kind of gain uh, my opinion about it that I do think the working in the office is often a lot smarter if you want a long-term career in a law firm. But if you don't, and that's something that you don't want, then if it was me, I certainly would want to work in a remote environment. The, one of the kind of final points that I think is worth uh, mentioning is, and this is actually a very important point, is the, one of the reasons that people compete to get into the best schools, whether it's a top law school or a top college, is because really it's not because there's anything special that's taught. Uh, most schools teach the same thing. And the professors are equally good at a lot of most schools. But the reason that it's so competitive to get into these schools is because of the people you're around. If you're in an environment where everybody is, where you're spending time going to class with people that are very talented and you're interacting with them, uh, you're going to come, you're going to be a different person because those people are going to share their goals and aspirations with you and you're going to rise to their level and you're going to consider that's your. Those are who you're going to try to be. You're going to try to, that's your competition level. You're going to compare yourself to your peers. And this is how most people are. Most people compare themselves to their peers. And depending on how well they've done things, um, they, how well their career is going or whatever they're doing, they feel good or bad about each other. They, if you live in a neighborhood and you're doing better than your peers, you feel better. If, you, if you're in a, you know, people you come out of school with, you're going to compare yourself to them. Being around people has always been considered you'll rise to their kind of level when you're doing things in person. And this is why people pay all this money to go to schools and why it's so important. It's not because of what you're learning. It's because really, it's because you become like the people you spend time with. So the problem with remote work, as I see it, is that if you're working remotely, it's almost like attending a university remotely or getting a degree remotely. Yes, you're learning the material, but you're not really benefiting from uh, the in-person interaction and the formation of a peer group that's going to make you a much more effective people, a person. So I look at the careers every day and I see what happens to the people that go to places like Cravath or big firms and very good firms, Latham and Watkins and things. And you look at the people that go to really good firms uh, and start out there and spend a lot of time there, and then what happens in their, in their career. And honestly, it's the better firm you're in, and if you're in the office, it really does create and make you into a better person in terms of, in terms of an attorney. And I think a lot of that, and the majority of that, has to do with in-person interaction. 
Uh, because if you don't get that, then you're really harming yourself. And if I wanted to have a career as an attorney, I would do everything I possibly could to be in, in a law firm where I was working with other people. The final point that I just want to make is you learn things from people, you rise to the level of your peer group, and you share information, and all that makes you a better person. But one of the things that a lot of people don't realize, and, and especially young attorneys, is they come out of law school and they think it's a competition to make the most money. Or they go to law school because they realize how much money attorneys make. Money is part of it. But really, what you're doing your first five years of practice is you're essentially going to school again because you don't learn a practice area and you don't learn how to become an attorney and you don't get really good at it unless you get instructed by people that are better than you and you learn things and you learn how to approach problems and to think about things and how people think and you watch them in person and you don't get any of that when you're working remotely. What does a degree from MIT mean if you're working remotely? People, if you're taking it remotely, people would think that's insane because it's, and it doesn't happen. I don't think any top 25 college will allow you to take everything remotely. I don't think any law school will because it's the in-person interaction that matters. So if you're trying to work remotely, you're doing yourself way more harm than good because you're not forming those, those in-person relationships and you're not learning uh, like you should. And it's those in-person relationships that are really going to help you and make you better. If I was an attorney coming out of law school now, and I had the choice of working in a huge, really good AMLAW firm or a really good boutique in, my pra- in the practice area I wanted to do, and even if they paid me $50,000 a year, and I was able to work with really good people, as opposed to working in a firm that paid 100 obviously, these are much lower salaries, that wouldn't give me that instruction, I probably would, knowing what I know now, I would choose the firm that pays less. So these are decisions that you need to make. But going to a firm where you're working face-to-face with people is going to make you into a different type of attorney than if you're working remotely. So you may think it's in your best interest to work remotely because of the freedom. But just at the end of the day, that freedom has a cost. And, and I would submit to you that that cost is significant because you're not learning everything you need to do, just as if you were going remotely to a top school. Uh, you wouldn't learn from other people. I'll just tell you myself, I grew up in a family where there, there were no lawyers and where, frankly, I was almost more interested in being a contractor than an attorney. But I, I became interested in being an attorney because I went to a school where all these people were trying to be attorneys and get into good schools. And I was like, hell, I'll compete with them. It's the same thing. And so I did everything I could to get the best grades and the best LSAT score and the activities and things that would make me look attractive. But it was because of the people I was around and I was watching what they did, and they were feeding me with, with, this is what you need to do to get ahead. That's what you get when you go to a really, the best firm is you get the same thing. And I would have, if had I gone to some local school or remote, worked remotely, or, or I wouldn't have gotten any of that. So that's what you get working in a firm. And I'm just trying to tell you like how important it is to really think through this remote thing if you really want to be the best attorney you can be. And then also, if you want to stay practicing law, for the longest period of time. Very important. All right. So I'll take a quick break and then I'll come back and answer questions. I'll just be gone like one or two minutes. Though. But I did want to apologize. I know this is a little bit of a long webinar, but I do think this is very important for you to factor in these questions to what you're doing, whether or not and the type of jobs you're seeking. 
and what's going to happen to your career because it does have profound implications and, and something you need to be very aware of. So I will be back in a minute or two and then I'll take questions. I'll take as many questions as everyone has. So it doesn't have to be about this particular topic, but any questions you have and I'll stay as long as I need to get everything answered. Thanks. All right. Thank you, everyone who's at asking questions. This is very helpful. Currently an executive in the healthcare life sciences sector, I have an opportunity to join a healthcare firm. I had practice law in my area of expertise. I haven't practiced law since I passed the bar 10 years ago. And also went to a tier four law school. What should I consider in making the decision? I believe I'm a unique candidate in the market and can develop a specialty in this area of the law. But I worry that my law school will limit long-term long -term career potential in a firm setting. Okay, that's a great question. The answer to that is, I think it's, I've seen, it's very common for attorneys without any experience in a law firm to go from a law, from an in-house setting to a law firm. And I've seen it quite a bit. I actually, it was, it's very funny, but I had one time, and I think I've told the story before, but I'll just tell it again. I had a woman that was in a, working in a hospital in some sort of healthcare legal setting, and she was moving to a firm in Colorado. It was a good firm. It was a mid-sized firm, but a firm you probably would have heard of. And, and she got an interview with them, a phone interview. And, and when she got, she had her husband on the phone also asking questions. And, and when I heard this, she told me that her husband was asking questions. I was like, and she was older too. She was probably in her uh, mid-50s and been working in a law firm for 30 years or whatever in a hospital. I couldn't believe it. I thought the firm would have absolutely no interest in her and but then they call back and they wanted to fly her out and interview her some more. So, I mean, there, there's a real demand for attorneys and special with certain backgrounds in healthcare law, even if they're in-house and have no longer law firm experience to work in a law firm. I've seen multiple, more than any other practice area, people in healthcare law go to, to law firms from healthcare settings. It's a practice area where that just happens a lot even with very good firms. I've, I saw someone not too long ago make the transition from a, to a really good firm, like a top 50 firm in their like 11th year of practice have never worked in a law firm. So the concerns that anybody should have when they're trying to move to a law firm from an I mean, in-house position are really your expectations, meaning what do you expect from, from a work environment that you're in? And what are your habits? And can you break those habits? Do you want to grow your legal career? A lateral move might be the right choice to get you on track for your career goals. Working with a legal placement firm like BCG Attorney Search can open doors for you and help you live the life you dream of. If you're looking for a new legal job, send us your resume so we can help. Visit www.bcgsearch.com and click on Submit Resume to be paired with one of our legal placement professionals who will work tirelessly on your behalf to get you your dream legal job. Submit your resume to www.bcgsearch.com to get started today. So an example was I was a uh, mediation yesterday uh, with a bank and, and we were mediating this issue. And, and by the time it was 4 p.m., all these bankers started getting antsy and we're like, okay, we're done. We want to go home because bankers are used to going home at four. And then they just tune out after four. Now, this is not all bankers, but it was a credit union bank. And so this is just how it works. A lot of times people will have certain expectations if they're coming from an in-house environment versus a law firm environment. And then when they get to a law firm environment, all these things like hours 
doing work that's highly valued by clients, checking, double checking your work, deferring to senior or even junior attorneys to yourself. All these things become very difficult for people. So the idea is you just have to be able to adapt and look at working in a law firm as a huge opportunity to increase your skills, become more of an expert, and then work very hard. Now, if you're hired as a after 10 or 11 years of practice in a law firm, they're hiring you not because they inspect you to school them in, a, in your area of law or go out and get business. They're hiring you because they need someone with your skills working very hard probably on their matters and doing the best job you can. So you look at this as like a gift and you don't look at it as something negative. And so a lot of people get into into to, to law firms from working in-house and they see all these things that are wrong, but you have to actually look at it as a really good educational opportunity because they're going to make you much better and you need to follow the guidance you get very closely and, and just do the best you can. Uh, and the other thing that's hard for a lot of times for people to do is to change the quality of their work, the expectations. And so you need to really learn that and very, learn that as well as you can. And the nice thing is too, is now that you have the law firm experience, if you're able to do that for four or five years or you know, as long as you can, then you can, you're probably going to be more employable to in-house employers or whatever you want in the healthcare industry than you otherwise would be. Thank you for these generous, informative, life-changing webinars. Thank you. I was worried that this webinar, by the way, was it's a lot of information, but I think it's very important. Okay, let's see here. Thank you for this question. The next person. And again, anyone that has questions, it doesn't have to be about working remotely, which can be about anything. I'm a data protection and technology lawyer who is English qualified with eight. I'm just looking off to the side to a monitor. I apologize because my vision is not that great anymore. Who is an English and American qualified with eight years experience. I've worked in-house for leading brands and law firms for the government uh, doing constitutional corporate work, IP negotiation, litigation. How can I best position my overseas experience in the US market? Okay. So I had this discussion with attorneys Almost any attorney I talk to, whether they're overseas or in the U.S., I have this kind of discussion with them pretty much every week. And yesterday I had it with it. It just is an ongoing, constant discussion. So how do you position your experience for the U.S. market? The best way to position your experience is really to try to look like a specialist. So if you want to work in a law firm, most law firms are interested in specialists. And what that means is you really, I don't, if you're doing an IP and data protection technology lawyer, and that's all you've been doing, then that's great. But if you've been doing other practice areas, you really need to make sure you look like a specialist. The biggest problem with people that are moving from other practice settings is law firms believe that once you move in-house, once you move into the government, uh, once you move to a public interest firm, that the odds are very poor that you will come do well in a law firm. And why is that? It's because the last person that asked the last question was talking about moving, getting hired by a law firm from a hospital or a healthcare setting. But it's very rare for attorneys to move from in-house positions back into law firms It's just or other practice settings. It's very rare. It's because the law firm believes that if you walk away from their business model, which is billing hours and, and hierarchical, and, and they believe that you will leave. And they're usually right. It's very rare uh, that someone goes back to a law firm from another practice setting, with the exception of clerks that are clerking for judges or people that are certain specialties in-house. 
and other things. It's very rare that people come back. Now, your particular practice here, data protection, it's certainly not impossible to do it because there's a lot of demand for that practice area, but it's more difficult because when you're coming from a different practice setting, um, it's just very difficult. And most of the time, law firms won't hire you, especially larger ones. It's just, it's almost, they say, once a pilot stops flying a, a large plane and they take a break, they never fly again. It's almost the same thing with, with leaving the law firm world. They, they just, they know you'll leave again. And if you've been bouncing around to different types of employers, they assume that bouncing will continue. It's interesting. You look at resumes of attorneys. And so I was looking at a resume. I was talking to an attorney last week. I think it was on Friday. Really nice guy. And he started off at a, one of the best firms in the country. He, I think he'd gone to Harvard Law School. Anyway, so he started the best firm in the country. And then, and this is 30 years ago. And his resume was like four or five pages. And he moved to a new employer after two years, then a new employer after two years. And then new, and anyway, so his resume was like 20 pages of these moves, not 20 pages, but you can, you know what I mean? And so people have patterns. And so when a law firm is looking at your resume, they're looking to see what your patterns are. So how do you best position yourself? If you're eight years out, I would recommend trying to make your resume say one thing, meaning nothing about just don't go into any other practice areas than data protection. And then try to make your experience look very heavily law firm based as opposed to other issues. But the problem you're going to have is working in multiple practice settings and then also not even being in the United States. That's, that's a huge problem. But if you look like a very strong data protection attorney and you're able to market yourself to firms, hopefully in a lot of different markets around the US and decide if you're UBE qualified, I don't know how it works, or that you can wave into certain markets. You should be applying in those markets, and then you should try to probably apply uh, to smaller to mid-sized firms that service businesses and, and lead with your data protection. Because if you take a market like Indianapolis, which is not a very small market, you may be able to very easily wave into Indiana, and there's going to be firms there that may need someone like you that don't have anybody in Indianapolis. The so same thing would go with your Madison, Wisconsin, then your, your Boulder, Colorado. So if you're able to find markets where there's a need for you, then they're going to be willing to overlook uh, this kind of these different markets. Okay, how do I best communicate my legal experience in the US, England, and Asia in a way that translates to the US or international market? I deliver well in real life, but figuring out how to present myself resume and how to include work samples that speak to my true value. Okay, people are not just looking at the quality of your, your work. So that's the important thing to understand. They're looking at your quality of the types of decisions you've made about the direction of your career. So a lot of times, like people go to M programs all the time in the US from foreign countries, and the law firms believe that the person will probably go back to their home country. And um, so how long do we get them? And they're right. And, and so they, those are legitimate concerns. And figuring out how to present yourself, including work samples. Typically, the best way of doing that is you can have a representative matter sheet, a transaction sheet, which corporates do, corporate attorneys do. And then you would attach that. That would not be part of your resume. You do not want to make all that part of your resume. You attach that as an attachment so you can show people all the representative matters you've worked on in this field. So you could say, I helped a major 
company created data production policy and you would go into detail about that instead of just listing all that in your resume. The problem with listing all that in your resume is it, it can get confusing. And especially if you've done it for a bunch of employers, that can get confusing as well. One thing I would potentially recommend to you that's an interesting thought is what you can do with your career is if it was me and your situation and you had all this international experience and why would you go to work in a law firm? It seems to me like the companies would be much more interested in you because of your experience. And they would look at your in-house experience and your law firm experience as a plus, whereas law firms are going to be not as interested. So you would probably be more suited to working in a company or another practice setting that can use that experience and benefit from it than a law firm that's going to look at your career decisions in a, through a light that doesn't necessarily, wouldn't necessarily benefit you. Okay. I have several years as an independent lawyer. Not sure whether to mention this on my resume. Okay. For the benefit of everyone, I'll just, I always listing these. Will you do long-term? Can you remanage? Um, do we like you? So these are just some of the questions that law firms are asking and most employers are when they're hiring you. They don't all ask this question, but they, most of the law firms do. What it means, what do you do the job long-term means, are you likely to stick around? Can you be managed? Means, are you used to giving yourself orders or do you take orders well from others? And so these are all the questions that you really want to have good answers to. And if you've worked independently, law firms and employers are going to basically reach the following conclusions. One, you don't like working with people and you feel more empowered working alone. That's one, one conclusion they'll reach. Another conclusion is that you may put in that situation because you were fired or people didn't like the work quality you did or we didn't like your work quality or you just didn't like working in offices and, or, or working with others and did your own thing. So these are all questions. So everyone needs to be able to answer these. And really the, the type of employer you will go to will be their tolerance for having good answers to these questions. And typically, the largest and most prestigious firms are going to be the most discriminating with these questions. So can you do the job just means do you have the skills and to do the work we have? And, that's, and so that would be how you would take care of that in your transaction sheet and show them that. But we do the job long-term. I and mean, what is someone supposed to think if you've had all these different jobs and different practice settings? They're just going to conclude that you're going to leave. And then can you be managed? Same thing. You worked in alone, worked in all these different practice settings, you'll, you move, and then do you want the job and do we like you? So you can be the most likable person in the world, but if you don't answer all these questions well, then you can be in trouble. So that, that doesn't mean that you're not going to get hired. It just means you may have to look at more employers where, or newer firms that aren't going to ask this, or firms in geographic locations where this sort of information isn't really as important. Okay. Person says, I'm interested in in-house startups and gov or government, not law firms, a few years. Okay. So yeah. So if you're interested in house places, that's what I would recommend. Also, startups are great. That's a good idea. Startup With startups, you have there's different types of startup. Um, this is a good question for anybody that wants to work at a startup. Startups can be funded by venture capital firms and angel investors and have boards and that sort of thing. Those type of in-house startups are going to be much more difficult to get into because they're going to have typically law firms that they like to get people from, or they'll have, they'll have different types of, and they'll know what they're doing. So they will ask all these questions. But a startup that's new, that doesn't have that, it's funded itself is fine. Those are much easier to get into than others. I had a funny experience happen, and this is humorous. I was in a, I had a candidate 
that was in San Francisco. This is like when the internet boom was going on, like in 2000 or something. And, and they were interviewing with some big firms there. And, and I think they were from Boston or some big city. And, uh, and, I, and they were interviewing firms, like corporate firms. And, and then one afternoon after an interview, they walked into a movie theater. And to their astonishment, there was an ad for an in-house counsel that played before the movie. And I don't know, I'm assuming there were a bunch of different ads, but they were instead of rolling previews, they were just rolling something that said these local ads because there was so much demand. And so the person went into this, walked into this company after the movie and got hired. And I thought it was very funny. So depending on the type of startup, they can be very lenient and look at your experience in a different way than law firm but would. But, and then the level they hire you at, they may be interested in expanding internationally at some point. So that could help you. So that's a good question. Thank you. Okay. Next question. I also went to a lower rank law school. What strategies can I assume could that might exist and become a valuable asset to my firm and become partner material and so forth? Okay. So law schools, that's a good question. People worry a lot of times about the quality of their law school or the ranking of the law school. In, in reality, in the real world, uh, once you get out, all this, this stuff about your law school becomes less important than these questions. If you have the experience in your practice area and you can do it, then most of the time, you know, that's really the most important factor. The only thing that the law school really affects that much is if you work at, if you're trying to work at firms, when does law school matter? It matters when you're a young attorney without experience, because this is the only thing you have to compete on. So I hope that makes sense. You compete on, meaning either went to a good law school or you didn't. If you didn't, how are you? How do you distinguish yourself among you know, for the top firms? So it's going to matter then when you get out of school, and then it matters. It matters if you're trying to work with, um, firms with the general counsel, with firms that represent companies with general counsels. And it doesn't even always matter there. But the reason that matters is because the general counsel of a company that's is going to look at the quality and the schools and things of the attorneys. So that's why big law firms, uh, and they want to look really good because they represent companies. And so they want to look very strong to those companies. I mean, they're hiring the best people because they're charging these kind of outrageous rates for the services. So they need to have people that look very good. They look like they went to the best law school. So that's not to say that they never hire from the best law schools, but it is something that's important to them. So it matters if you're trying to work with firms that have higher companies with general counsel. It matters depending on the market you're in. So an example would be New York Law School, which is a good law school, but it's not ranked that high. But people can get jobs with huge firms in New York, and they do every year coming out of New York Law School. They get really good jobs, other people that do well. It's the same thing with even Southwestern and Los Angeles are not a high-ranked law school, but people are getting jobs out of there every year, big firms in LA. If you want to go to a, work in a local firm, the law school matters, but not that much. I mean, they're expected to be hiring people from local law schools, and they do, even the best firms. Like even the top firms in New York, the very, very best firms will hire people from New York Law School and Pace Law School. They have people there that went there and they're, they, people did incredibly well there, and, but at the same time they do. So that's when law, so law school matters only when you're, if, those, if, you're, if you went to a local law school, it could become very hard to get a job out of state or in another market because 
that the, the, there's no allegiance to people from that market, from the firms there. And that's really all that when law school matters. And then in law school, it doesn't matter if you get a job in a big firm at some point. It doesn't matter really anymore because you know, the, that's, you're assumed to have gotten a training in a big firm, done well enough to get into a big firm. So law school only matters then. And then it does not matter really at all. It can, but it does not matter at all if you're working for most firms that work for, that don't have, if you work for firms or want to work with firms that don't have, that don't work for companies with a general counsel. And what does that mean? It just means the firm's working directly for a company, typically entrepreneurs, local businesses, things like that. Local businesses, businesses, and or individuals is a big one. People that don't go to top law schools in different markets typically will work for businesses or entrepreneurs. Do you know the secrets to getting your dream legal job? We do. And one of the best things you can do is apply to jobs that fly under the radar. Applying to openings with very little competition means you stand a much higher chance of getting hired. But how do you find openings like that? For starters, you're not going to find them on major job boards because these jobs are usually only advertised on companies' websites and in small regional publications. That is why we created Law Crossing, the most comprehensive database of legal jobs in the world. We have a team of people constantly working to find every single legal job out there. Unlike other job boards, which only list jobs that companies pay to post, we include every legal job we can find in order to maximize your chances of finding a job. So, what are you waiting for? Head over to www.lawcrossing.com to find your dream legal job today. Local businesses without general counsel and individuals. And so, that, and that's honestly, that's, that's probably 90% or more of all firms. Law school really doesn't matter. In my opinion, it doesn't. It only matters if you're trying to work at the largest, best firms. And it only matters if you didn't work at one of those firms after you graduated. Otherwise, it's not that big of a deal. And it also doesn't matter. It also does not matter that much if you get a lot of business. And a lot of firms, I'll talk to people all the time that went to this terrible law school. I mean, when I say terrible, I don't mean terrible. But like, for example, there's people like Whittier Law School is, was a law school in California that was ABA approved. And then, but then its bar rate went down to something just horrible, like 20%. And it had to go out of business. But you would find people from Whittier and very good firms all around LA in, as partners and was based in Orange County. And the reason was, is they'd been able to build books of business and became very valuable with their firms. And so again, a law school that was beyond fourth tier because it went out of business, I mean, it had to close still attorneys with business and mean partners at firms where they're making multi-million dollar salaries. So honestly, it does matter, but if there's certain things you can do to overcome it, and it's not that big of a deal. Okay. So this person says, I have the ability to bring a business. It's what I do best. Yeah. So that's great. And sometimes law firms will hire people from in-house because they believe that the cost of bringing that person in is very low compared to the amount of business that they'll generate and the risk of even that they'll generate the business. So law firms typically will hire, will hire two types of people. And I've brought this up before, but I'll, they'll hire soldiers and then general. A soldier is someone that will do the work, they'll bill the hours, they'll be manageable, they'll follow instructions, they'll, they won't make issues, and they'll just basic associates. 
And then generals are responsible for being in business, training, motivating people, getting firing, hiring, all this sort of stuff, policies, procedures. So the worst thing that can happen is a law firm trying to hire a soldier and then the person deciding they're a general. That's very risky for firms. So firms are, that's one of the reasons why it can be very difficult to move from a being a solo practitioner to working for a law firm because a solo practitioner is a general. They have to do all this stuff on their own. And so when they move into a firm, the firm may just want a soldier. And if the person's a general, that can create problems. And then in some firms, it's interesting, some firms that have partnerships are not really partnerships because they're run by one general. And you have that with a lot of firms that may be some guy that he started a firm and then he comes up with some compensation or some sort of method of hiring attorneys and paying them a percentage and, and using it. And so that, that can happen. One of the ways, how do you, the next question is, how do you highlight potential employers that you can generate business? So one of the ways that's done and the most, the most common way is a business plan. And this has historically been what attorneys do that don't currently have any business or that have business and want to expand the business or are coming from different practices so put up a business plan. And the business plan is essentially what it's saying is it's saying that the person that we believe, I believe I can generate business, these are the contacts I have, this is how I'm going to do it. And then someone will read the business plan and decide whether or not they believe it. Now, if you have methods of potential clients, or you've done it before, or you have contacts that people that have told you they'll send you business, then yes, you should highlight that and you should have a business plan. But how do you tell about the business plan? If you're applying to firms directly, you would just say, I have, you know, if you like, I understand I don't currently have any business, but I also have a business plan where I believe I can generate this amount of money in the next five years in business. And I'd love to um, share it with you confidentially or something like that. That would be how you would talk about that. And then how do you write a business plan? Everyone does them their own way. But at this point, you could probably use chat GBT to, I, I don't know, or BARD or something, Google. You, there's all sorts of ways to write a business plan, but you would basically find a sample business plan and then work that and do that. So this is historically what attorneys have done. Does it work? Yeah, it can work. But it, it's it, most law firms are smart enough to know that if you don't currently have business, the odds are that you're going to have a hard time getting business in the future. And law firms that hire people based on business plans are usually disappointed, meaning disappointed probably 80% of the time, maybe 85, because a lot of times people don't have it. But if you have a real legitimate business plan or real legitimate ways to generate business, then I would put it in a cover letter and highlight it there. I wouldn't put it on my resume because it looks a little funky, but I would definitely put it in a cover letter. And if somebody reads the cover letter, then it could be very helpful for you. Questions? Those are all good questions. Um, again, if anybody has any more questions, okay, let's see. How do law firms typically determine whether to adopt a remote or in-office work model? It's, there's a lot of questions that go into it, or a lot of issues. It de really depends on the firm. How do they determine it? It's usually the law firm management will help determine it, and the law firm management will uh, debate all these things we're talking about, like our brand, our learning, hours, profitability. They'll look at all these factors and think about it. They'll also, frankly, look at the office space cost because office space is a huge cost for a lot of firms. And then you need people to 
you need all sorts of different types of people working in, in an office than you would or working in an office space than you necessarily would in to work in an office than you would if it's remote. So all your cost when you work in an office, people work in an office go up. A lot of law firms pay for parking. If you think about it, if you're a big law firm, that could be tens of thousands of dollars per month. They pay they have to pay janitorial staff. They have to pay security. They have there's all sorts of cost that a law firm has. So this is how they make the decisions. And they make it based on those factors. And it depends on the size firm and it depends on a lot of different factors. That's how they decide it. Because here's just the client relationships. I, I'll answer that real briefly. So typically what law firms are doing, they're, when a law firm relocates to Silicon Valley from New York or opens an office there, what the reason they're doing that is because they want to be close to clients. They want to be able to uh, run by the office. If there's issues, they want to they need, they're trying to be close to the clients. And the reason is because that's their job. They work for the clients. It's no different than being uh, setting up a hospital in a certain area because the hospital wants to be, get people locally to come in or a funeral home or whatever. And it's just that's what the business is dependent on being close to their clients. With Zoom and all these sorts of things, that may not matter as much anymore, but it still matters. A the most successful lawyers, I think, spend a lot of time going out and meeting with attorneys and forming personal relationships and meeting with clients and forming personal relationships, there's just a lot more that happens when you're in person. So I think that being able to be in an office is helpful, more helpful for clients. And this is a attorney-client relationship. And then you also asked about collaboration. Yeah. So I think that I think I talked a lot about collaboration, but I think it definitely can negatively affect collaboration in law firms. This person says, I could generate business in 90 days if I'm hiring a temp basis. Yeah, that's good. All right. I think that's about it for questions. I certainly appreciate all the questions. That I apologize if it was kind of a little long webinar. I, I think the topic is very interesting and I felt it was necessary to do because it does really have a lot of impact on your career and people don't realize it. There's always these kind of little things that, that can make a big difference. This is one of them. Frankly, it's not an easy topic to talk about because there is, I guess it's easy, but in terms of things that are interesting to an audience, I don't know if it's the most interesting, but I, I do feel it was important because it's coming up a lot and I'm seeing a lot of people get jobs working remotely that they otherwise wouldn't get. But I'm also seeing a lot of people uh, lose jobs or have career problems because of their unwillingness to go into the office. So it's a big deal and it's a very important issue right now. Thank you. And I will be next week and I'll hopefully have a interesting, more interesting topic than this. I think it's interesting, but I mean for you. And then also we're getting close to the third quarter. Um, what I do at the beginning of each quarter is I do a resume workshop, which is a lot of fun. And then I also do a, in addition to a resume workshop, I also do a, a cover letter workshop where we go over that. We'll start sending out emails and things to the people that have been on these calls, which is a lot. And then, and then if you send in your stuff, for those when we schedule those we'll do them in a call those are typically very long webinars they can be like you know four to six hours but they're very useful and you may you can view replays of them too that we put up which is also helpful thanks again and i will talk to everyone next week that's all the time we have for this edition of the show if you are an attorney looking for a change head on to bcgsearch.com 